just a simple man trying to make my way in the universe. Welcome back. Hey, everybody. What's going on? Oh, not a whole lot. You? Oh, you know, same old, same old. Another beautiful uh, weekend? You know, it really has been. The weather is amazing. Got my bike all maintenanced up. It's riding like brand new. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> well, we're back. Another episode for you guys today. Uh, another multi-universe cross. Across the planes of existence. Yes, in the sci-fi fantasy universe. <laughs> Well, I think, wait, start with Star Wars? Seems like a classic story. Yeah, go ahead. Take it away. So, this episode, we just kind of want to talk about some of our favorite planets and maybe some cultures, some of the dynamics behind everything, currencies, governments, whatever, uh, throughout multiple universes, Star Wars, Star Trek, Halo, Mass Effect, the usual. Whatever we choose from. Um, But yeah, let's start with Star Wars. So, one that really sticks out to me that I've always been fascinated with is Gamora. Oh, really? The Gamorian home planet. So, it's super, like, it's a luscious planet, foliage. I mean, it. there's so much foliage on this planet that it looks like a green star in space. Right. And what I find really cool about it is it's like, if you were to go to the Amazon rainforest on our Earth, imagine that, but the entire planet. Rivers, animals, trees, I mean, you name it. But it's inhabited by the Gamorreans, which are the, the boar-like humanoid creatures. You see them in Jabba's palace, there is guards. Yeah, huge mercenary warlike culture. They remind me a lot of the orcs. Like, just their tribal mindset that they have a chieftain, that the women typically work in the fields and in the homes, and the men are like the hunter-gatherers. Just a classic... Tribal. Tribal mindset, culture, and very reminiscent of, like, the Norse. Like, how they believe in war brings you glory, and if you die in battle, you'll go into this amazing afterlife, you know, seated with the gods or their creators... Uh, to come back and fight next to them in in the days of, I guess, if you want to call it a Ragnarok, that's fine. The end time. Yeah. And their their culture is so, it's just so basic. It's so cool. They live off the land, but it's an uninhabitable planet for anyone who's not a Gamorrean. Well, and a lot of the, a lot of the cultures in Star Wars are generally based off of a region. <laughs> so you can look at, for instance, uh, Tatooine. The culture is very reminiscent of desert cultures from around the world on our planet. Yeah. It, it's very, I mean, you can see it in their building styles. Their their houses are buried partially underground or almost entirely underground so that they can take a, advantage of the geothermal heat. Their walls are very thick and made out of packed earth, and you can see that in uh, Mos Eisley. All yeah. of the buildings are very thick-walled. It's like They're... sandstone, almost, you would think. Or right. Li- or limestone. Or or like uh, stucco. Or Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so they have 
very reminiscent of that. And the Gamorreans are kind of reminiscent of a lot of the outside <laughs> perspective of the tribes in the Amazon, where it's very jungle, very dense. There's not a whole lot you can do with it because the jungle's going to take back any farm ground you clear. And it's a really interesting... But they don't do that kind of excavation because it's 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 seen as taboo to ruin. Well, it's sacred. Yeah, and they're... so the Gamorians don't don't try to take and make farmland. They, for the most part, well, they make the farmland, <coughs> but they make it as holistic as possible. Right. It, it's like creating a farming ecosystem, more like uh, ancient Egypt. Right. Or medieval forests. Yeah. Very well-kept, you know, medieval forests around a castle would be very well-kept because they'd be pasturing their livestock on it. That would be grazing down a lot of the plant matter, so you're not going to have a really overgrown forest. They're collecting their firewood, so there's almost no fallen trees that aren't utilized. And so it's a very lush, green, picturesque, kind of like in Lord of the Rings when you see... The Hobbit. The, the Hobbits going through the forest. Which forest? There's about uh, the four one, of them. <laughs> the one right outside of the Shire. Oh, okay, it's, yeah. It's very short grass, <clears throat> very, very lush, filled with all kinds of vegetation that's edible because that's where they produce their, mm-hmm. their food. Yep. And so the Gamorians don't necessarily do battle with nature to create big farmsteads. They open up the earth and they till it and there's trees interwound. It's a very interesting culture, very different to what we have in the West today. It's really... The reason I relate them so much to... They have a Norse mindset of battle, raiding, pillaging, murdering, plundering. They have a Native American mindset of live off the land... Be as courteous and as respectful to Mother Nature as possible. Then they have an orc mindset in terms of hierarchy. Right. Their chieftains, the way that everything works, you know, the the women were the blacksmiths and the homekeepers, and the men were the farmers, and they'd go out and hunt and packs and everything. So it's like they, they took all these different cultural mindsets and aspects and they just melted them together. Not only that, but to me, the Gamorreans, are, they look cool. Yeah, they do. I mean... Who better to have a bodyguard than a six foot five, three hundred pound boar that can swing an axe with one hand and just crush a man's skull with their bare hands? I mean, right. But that, that's kind of my first one, at least as far as the Star Wars universe is concerned. My my second one, I guess for the sake of time, we'll just do two. Is and we all knew this was coming. Oh no, it's Korriban. Ah, the Sith culture. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so the Sith as well. Just the so Korriban before the Rakatans came, and before it was the planet was basically torn to shreds by Sith infighting. Right. It was also a very luscious, forgiving planet. Yes. And over time, between battles and just the dark side just being misused because of the dark side was misused on Korriban by the Dark Jedi, not the Sith species. It basically turn the land into a big giant dust bowl yeah all the plants were gone all the water basically dried up i mean there's streams here and there kind of i kind of relate it to mars 
like there's proof that there was at one point in time some sort of an ecosystem that supported life. Well, and there's water, but not that much. Yeah, and it just it it devolved into this just kind of base planet of sand and red sand and red dirt and... and that's what's cool is that it's all red and part i don't know why but part of me thinks it's because of the taint of the dark side nah it's simply explained by it's an iron rich planet <laughs> it's not though it's not a ferris rich planet because it would have been mined but it was never mined by anybody no, that's a good argument for why it wouldn't, but that doesn't mean the soil doesn't have trace amounts of iron in it. It could, if anything, it'd be cortosis or whatever it is. Right, red tint. But it's just such a cool planet, man. Like See, everything about the Sith species, they just they they revered gold and jewels and and ornaments and power. And they were such a they were a a powerfully primitive culture. They weren't. All that primitive, but yeah, in they, some ways they were absolutely primitive. They were in terms of the, in terms of the technological advancements of the time of Star well, Wars, they were considered primitive. Well, and there again, they also had, they also had, but they've been around for ten thousand years before the Jedi even went there. They also had a very tribal uh, nature mm-hmm. with the strong leads, and so you get a lot of infighting to prove who's the strongest to lead the Sith. Species. King Ados being one of them. <laughs> and it's really interesting that they're naturally Force-sensitive, which is a huge boon. I mean, it would be like if there was a tribe of people in the Amazon who was t- had telepathy. like <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. Like, well, they did have shamans, but they were seers. Well, but even if, even if in today's world we found a tribe of people in the Amazon who had telepathy. Right. I mean... No matter how primitive they are, they're going to have a hand up on anybody they fight because they have telepathy. Yeah. And so to have the Force as a as a culture is, on a wider galactic scale, a huge thing. Well, and, and they melded it into, I guess they integrated it into their cultural lifestyles between alchemy and well, creating creating their culture how they divided up they basically had the same social hierarchy that the catholic church had you have like the king then you have nobles then you have knights and priests and then you have peasants and then you have slaves their culture is very reminiscent of that like medieval europe yeah exactly very feudal Mm -hmm. they had the king or the leader the chieftain then they had the soldiers and the clerics, and then they had the seers or shamans. Well, and their technology, quote unquote, is very force based because they created it. They don't necessarily have the the technology, but before the the Jedi came there and created the Sith Order rather than the Sith species, the Sith did have some technology. Their technology was just very magic system based because it was based on the Force. They had yeah. Force alchemy, so they could create. Uh, or not create, but modify life. Transmute. Yeah, and so they could create subspecies. They created zombies as well. Yes. And there And there's a lot of tales for an extended universe comics, if you guys ever read them. I hope you do, because there's a lot of good stuff. There's spacer... Like, spacer guys, frigate, frigate pilots, when they'd go into space parts, they'd tell stories of going to Korriban to do spice runs or weapons trades or whatever they do. And there's stories of 
Sith zombies, like, still around, just buried in the sand, kind of like ancient Egypt mummies just rise out of the sand and will kill you, you know? Right. Like, and I think that's pretty cool, you know, that there's that kind of, there's that kind of niche yeah. lore in Star Wars, you know? Things like you'd think of going to a cantina in Kansas City. Right. Some dude from, I don't know, like a war or something, telling yeah. you a story about a ghost or something. Like, It's cool how they added it in there. It is. It's kind of a neat little off-the-cuff bit of lore that allows you to kind of see more vividly the culture that, that you don't normally get to see. Yeah. But what about you? Okay, so... Star Wars. Star Wars isn't necessarily have my favorite cultures. So... You have to have one. Oh, a favorite from Star Wars? Oh, probably gonna be... I was gonna say Mandalorian for one, but we're saving that for an episode, everybody. We're gonna do a Mandalorian episode. I'd probably say if I had to pick one from Star Wars, it's gonna be Mandalorian. Um, (laughs) But... Duxun, Malachor... No, I would say probably the Sand People. The Tuscans, ooh. The Tuscan Raiders are probably my favorite culture. <clears throat> Just because there's so much history involved. Yeah. Because Tatooine wasn't always a sand planet. No, and we, we've touched on that before. Tatooine was turned into a sand planet, and the Tuscan culture really is the result of going from a lush planet to a desert planet. And it's the survivors who were strong enough to keep going Adapt after and overcome. that. Mm-hmm. And so that culture is really interesting to me. And also, there's... I, I'm a Dune fan, and so there's that reminiscence of the first Dune novel with the, the people living out in the desert. Yeah. So... That always kind of pulls on my heartstrings a little bit. But I will say, my probably my favorite culture in all of sci-fi, fantasy, fiction is going to be taken up by the elves of Lord of the Rings. So you're going to stick with Tuscans and not explain why? I just did. <laughs> I feel like the Book of Boba did such a good job of explaining that, though. Yeah. Like, that was so cool to be able to see their own culture, their own languages. So, so one of the reasons that... Uh, I'll go into it a little more. One of the cultural things that really kind of makes me fall in love with the Tuscan culture is that in the group of Tuscans that you're a part of... There is a great deal of trust, reverence, um, a great deal of respect among each other. Mm-hmm. But for any outsiders, they don't have the time of day. No, and they're more than well they're more than willing to let someone who proves themselves become a Tuscan, regardless of, of species. They really they care about who you are as a person. It's not they care about if you can respect their culture. Well, if you're not born into their culture, you can be a Tuscan too. So long as you are deemed Tuscan. If you show that you are willing to respect them, help them, fight for them, give of yourself for them, they'll do the same in return. And so it's a very open culture for being such a closed culture. And it's contradiction that's really interesting. Yeah. Okay. I'll take that. 
But your elf culture, huh? My favorite culture of all time is is probably the elves of of particularly the. But we're not doing a favorite culture. We're just talking about you know. That I'm just saying that's probably my favorite. That is, they have a long and storied history. They have a long and storied living history. Their culture is not just five thousand years old. It's five thousand years old, and there are living elves who've been there to see it. So you have people like Elrond and Galadriel and the, the King of Mirkwood. I can't think of his name. Never can remember his name. Legolas's father? Yes. Uh, I can't remember. That's a good question. But, so you have these people who've been alive for thousands of years and, and maybe not the majority, but a, a vast minority of their history and have seen it and are leading it with that wisdom. And you can see that when they come into battle, the leader is Thranduil. Thranduil. Not a M, a T. Sorry. The leaders aren't just basing their decisions on what is good in the moment or will I get glory from it? Or you see it in The Hobbit when Thranduil refuses to go to battle with the dragon because he's seen what battle against a dragon is. Well, yeah, because they've experienced it. And he lived through it. And. You, you have this culture that is so deep and immense because you have beautiful songs and beautiful items like masterfully craft, crafted weapons and armor and rings and crowns. They're all masterfully crafted because the elves who crafted them had thousands of years to master their craft. Who was that other elf uh, that received one of the rings of power? Next to Elrond and Galadriel. Uh, the shipwright. Yeah, I can't remember his name. He crafted the ship, one of the ships to take the elves to the Grey Havens. Okay, so when you say shouldn't have received it, I, I, I kind of want to... Thranduil should have totally no, gotten no, no, that no, ring. No, 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 no. I'm not misunderstanding the lore. That's my interpretation of who should have received it. I don't think it's necessarily a matter of misunderstanding lore. It's just my interpretation that... Kirdan. Yes. I'm not saying he wasn't skilled and he wasn't allowed to receive one of the rings of power. What I'm saying is it would have benefited the elves uh, would have benefited the elves of Mirkwood a lot more if he had it would have. the ring. But the elves of Mirkwood Thranduil are... was already corrupted. That's why I, I, I understand that's why he didn't receive one because he was already corrupt. <clears throat> it's the a reason, reason why. The reason I do remember he did not that. receive one <clears throat> is because Thranduil had never been to the west. To the Undying Lands. Thranduil and the other elves of Mirkwood have never been to the west. They stopped on their journey from the east where they awoken. Awakened? Where they had awoke. Whichever way you Where they was woke. Where they woke up. <laughs> um, so when they awakened from the, the, the long rest in from the beginning of time to their time... Um, they were one of the groups of elves who stopped traveling before they could make it to the west, to the Undying Lands. Círdan was one of the highest and most noble-born of the Sindar elves, which was a group of elves that had made it. And he actually was one of the later elves to come back. 
So because because Thranduil had never been to the Undying Lands and seen the trees or seen the Silmarils, he was not gifted a ring. He did not deserve one. Would it have been more useful in Thranduil's hand yes. against Sauron? Yes. It would have saved the entire Mirkwood race of elves. But it would not have saved the elves. <sighs> yes and no, but when, a part, what I was saying earlier about his corruption was a part of, and I remember reading about this, I'll have to source it. Part of the reason the elves also didn't give it to him was because he was already corrupted in the sense of his mind was all about power. Versus the other elves were all about the survivability of the elves. He, Balancing the power. He would have taken that ring and as soon as Mirkwood and his people were safe, he would have gone to conquer basically smash anyone who tried to take over he'd kill his people again he was not corrupted he was never purified okay not corrupted like sauron was but right, when, right, when no. i mean corrupted his heart was with malintent uh maybe and the other elves could uh, no it's not a maybe it's a fact and I, i'll pull it up for you eventually but i do remember reading that he he had malintent with his heart which is why they didn't trust him enough with the ring of well and i think that's absolutely true but <laughs> The ring wouldn't have done more good for elves as a whole in his hands. Would have done more good against Sauron. Would have done more good for Mirkwood. Would not have done more for elves. Because when Círdan had the ring, he used it to protect the land around the Grey Havens. Which yeah. was the only way the elves could make the journey back to the Undying Lands. Where they could live forever. And so... That, in and of itself, is enough reason to give it to Círdan, who later gives it to Gandalf. I'm not saying Círdan wasn't worthy. I think he was more worthy than Thranduil, but I feel like it would have been a way cooler story if Thranduil had received it. Yes, but it would have been inconsistent with the lore. I understand the lore aspect, but I'm just thinking in my own mind, like my own headcanon, had he received the ring... Would he have eventually tried to turn and take over Mordor? Would he have eventually tried to restore the Elvish people? Or would he have taken it and been selfish with it? If he'd have tried to use the ring at all. I mean, there's like four different scenarios in my head of what would happen if Thranduil had the ring. If he had tried to use the ring at all, he would have used it in a impure way. Exactly. And he would have fallen to the dark. Yep. At which point the elves would have fallen with him. Uh, the Mirkwood Elves. Yeah, okay. And that in and of itself would have been a devastating loss. Well, yeah, because the Mirkwood Elves were some of the most potent elves. They were ridiculously good at martial prowess. I mean, their whole history is based off of martial arts. Like, they're... No. I mean, even the Rivendell, the Elves of Rivendell, the High Elves, and what well, Galadriel's Elves, Mirkwood Elves... <clears throat> <coughs> uh, Galadriel is of Lothlorien. Lothlorien, yeah, I always get this mixed up. The elves of Lothlorien, like, yeah, they're they're kind of like in Skyrim. I like to, I know, Lord of the, I'm probably gonna get blowback from Loader fans, but I relate them to Skyrim in the terms of the Mirkwood elves are like the Dunmer. Okay, war torn, martial prowess, extremely smart and skilled. They're street smart. Well, and then you have the High <coughs> Elves. And the Wood Elves, the, well, the Wood Elves would be more Mirkwood as well, but the High Elves would be 
Rivendell. Rivendell, Lothlorien, the elves who rely on magic and this air of elegance. The Grey Havens. Exactly. Okay, so a part of the reason that, that distinction, I don't remember what they're called. Um, a Sindar? The Sindar elves? Sindari. The Sindar elves, Sindari, Sindarin, I don't remember exactly what it is. Uh, but they're the elves, they're one of the groups of elves who made it to the Undying Lands. And the reason they left the Undying Lands is because the Silmarils were stolen and they were the leaders of the, the Sindar elves swore that they would get them back. Yeah. Uh, I apologize for my daughter. She's very excited right now. and A wonderful day. Yeah, it's, um, it's an amazing day. But, so... They were able to literally spend time with the gods, learning the gods' craft, soaking in the culture of the gods, mm. and they—that is the reason they come off as very regal. Uh, whereas, like I said, they, they have an air of elegance about them. They have—they hold their heads high, right? And and one of the things that the Mirkwood elves don't get enough credit on is Rivendell. Lothlorien, the Grey Havens, all of the havens of the elves in Middle-earth, kind of protected by the Mirkwood elves. Well, yeah, because of it's called the Woodland Realm. Well, yes, but just look at the, the geography. So the elves are very much protected in the Third Age and even the Second Age. Gondor is to the south, and it basically blocks off access from Mordor directly to Mirkwood. To Mirkwood or Rivendell or Gondor, Gondor. It, it keeps Mordor. It separates Mordor from the northwest. Okay, yeah, I see. Okay, I see what you're saying now. Never mind. I thought you said from the south. I was like, Mordor wasn't south of Gondor. No, no, no. Like from Mordor coming north from the south. Yeah, yeah. And so they're protected by Gondor. Then Rohan is founded, and they're protected by Gondor and Rohan, but. The Rohan Mirkwood, was a lot harder to protect, which is why they became horse masters. Right, but then you have then you have uh, the only real major threat to Rivendell and to Lothlorien and to the Grey Havens at this point in history is from the east. Yeah, um, namely smog is a huge threat. Well, yeah, and then you have Rune. Well, then you have all of Rune and all of the Easterlands. Yeah. And so the elven culture in Rivendell only really exists because there's this giant forest controlled by the Mirkwood Elves that is a giant wall in the landscape keeping the east at bay. And so the regal nature of the elves, their culture really can only exist because they're protected by a less regal elf, elven race. Yeah. Um, and the, the reason they're less regal is because they've been in Mirkwood since they woke up from the great sleep. They've been in Mirkwood for thousands of years and yeah, they're losing the fight to the dark powers because there's not enough of them, mm. but they're holding it at bay. And so, when the dwarves take the Lonely Mountain back, that really is what gives the Lord of the Rings trilogy the chance to happen. Because if Smog was still in the Lonely Mountain and the dwarves were still scattered, 
they wouldn't have the power to resist any of the goblins. Yeah. And the Battle of Five Armies destroyed a huge amount of goblins. That allows... <coughs> that allows the elves the respite they need to marshal their power and kind of take back control of Mirkwood. Yeah. But my favorite culture across almost all universes, and at least the cultures I can think of offhand, that is definitely at the top. And what about a planet? Do you have a planet? Favorite planet? Oh, that's a really good one. And I'm probably going to go with... Sanghelia. <laughs> no, no. Vulcan. Probably... You said Vul Vulcan. Vulcan or uh, Romulus. Oh, a Romulus fan. Me too. So the reason I say or and I can kind of see them both as being one culture they kind of are I mean, they kind of are they're they're the stepbrothers well romulus say. is an adopted homeworld that's what i mean it's not the homeworld of the romulans no um it is the homeworld of the romulan culture but romulans are just vulcans that left yeah um and so while their cultures have diverged greatly there's there's a huge amount that is very similar. Very logical, very uh, logic-based, very reasoned people. And personally, I absolutely <laughs> love both of the planets. Uh, Vulcan is not a very hospitable planet. No. And it has a lot of great issues. It's, it's a desert planet. It has very incredibly varied uh, heights so there's lots of valleys lots of rolling mountains lots of it is a very aggressive uh, planet yeah and then you have Romulus which is not it's a very hospitable planet mm. and if you look at the capital of Romulus which I don't remember what it's called it's a circular city and it, it it's almost reminiscent of like a fortress city. Because Romulus is a very military-based... The Romulans are a very military-based culture. But they're a weird mix. They're not like the... They're not like the Vulcans where they're very intellectually led. And they're not like the Klingons who are very war-led. They, It's like they took their Vulcan culture and merged it with the, the Klingon culture... Creating a very technologically advanced, very uh, intellectually focused martial culture. You can see it in their capital on on their homeworld. It is it's a fortress city, and it is surrounded by a huge wall. It has a port inside of the wall. It is a very circular city, and it looks very uh, foreboding. I mean, it's not something you would want to put under siege. Yeah. And at the same time, it's centered on their technology. Their, it, it's centered on their ability to outperform their adversaries. And if it wasn't for the Federation, they would be the dominant power. But they're, they have a lot of primitive ideals, like a lot of their mating rituals and a lot of their war rituals... 
Yeah, they might be a technologically advanced and very intelligent species, but they still hold a lot of a lot of debased cultural ideas. Well, they're very held back by their they're very held back by a lot of their uh, emotional attachments, which is why they left Vulcan. They wanted to continue with their emotions. Yeah. Um, That's the Romulans, because they were a very romantic culture. Yes. And so they were the part of the Vulcan culture that, when the Vulcans went, went on to create a very lack of uh, emotion, they went on and left, founded Romulus, and created a culture that was very emotional, very yeah. romantic. And even that being the case, they were able to outpace the Vulcans on galactic uh, conquest. I think the Romulans were a, a more martially prowessed species. Yeah, because they still had that intelligence aspect that the Vulcans had. But they also allowed their feelings into play versus the Vulcans... If they were told to pull the trigger because it was the logical, sensible thing to do, they would do it. Right. Versus Romulans would be more along the lines of, well, I don't feel like this is appropriate, so I'm going to take this person prisoner. Well, and the Romulans, they're more individual-based mm-hmm. than the Vulcans. The Vulcans are very much, uh, if it if it costs one person but it saves a hundred, we do it. If it costs one person and saves two people, then you do it. Yeah, they are much more willing to do suicide missions if they see a net benefit, whereas the Romulans are very individualistic. If it does not, if I will not give over mine to protect you. Now you have the right to protect yourself, but I am not going to allow myself to be harmed to protect you. Exactly. Um. So th- those two are kind of one culture just taking two different diverging paths. And it's very interesting to see, and, and that is probably why Vulcan is my favorite Star Trek culture and probably one of my favorite things to think about hypothetically because you get two very different outcomes and they're not very intuitive because... Without the Federation, the Vulcans would probably have fallen to the Romulans. Oh, absolutely. And the Romulans probably would have conquered most of Federation space and most of the Klingon space eventually. But it's because... Well, no. if, if, If the Federation had never been founded... The Vulcans wouldn't have had the the Federation Navy to utilize. To keep the neutral zone in check, essentially. Right. Yeah. And so if the Federation hadn't been founded, the Romulans would have steamrolled over Vulcan and most of Federation space. Oh, yeah. The Federation, but... The and cl- from there, <coughs> they would have been able to outpace the, the Klingons... Um, on the production of new ships, the production of new technologies, they would have been able to use their superior intellect to create better weapons, better cloaking, better everything than the Klingons had. And eventually the Klingons would have fallen. Because the Romulans have cloaking devices, but their their war machine was just... I, I think a lot of it has to do, in my opinion at least... The reason that their war machine was way more effective on the battlefield and and navally as opposed to the Klingons or the 
Vulcans was because they didn't allow intelligence to come in the way of their goals versus the Vulcans thought intellectually about things what could or couldn't fail what's appropriate for battle what increases our likelihood of success by two percent versus the Klingons were just you know the warbirds oh well let's just make a million of them and then we'll just overwhelm the opponent okay that works but I mean that's what the Germans thought about the Blitzkrieg well, for, it only works for so long until your enemy figures out your tactics. But the Romulans, the Klingons failed. In my in my opinion, the Klingons failed to conquer the galaxy for one reason. It was about the fight, not about the victory. Yeah, because they were a war-bred culture. The Vulcans would have failed because they had too many ethics. That's why I say the Romulans and the Romulans would have taken it. Yeah, I 100% agree because the Romulans, while they were still emotionally and intellectually inclined, they didn't have those. They didn't have the afterthought that they didn't have the forethought of the Vulcans. They didn't have the afterthought of the Klingons. Well, and the the Federation would have given them a run for their money, but eventually they would have been overwhelmed. No, Federation wins, and the Federation wins for one reason. It's the and Federation. It's, no. <laughs> it's Dude, these, all you have to say is it's the Federation. It's these pesky little... On a galactic scale, it's the peskiest species in the universe. It's a multitude of species. Right, but it's it's one species that makes the difference. Humans. <laughs> it's it's the species that is... a xenophobe. <laughs> well, I mean, look at, look at Star just, Trek. I know, I'm just... We are... The cockroaches of the universe. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're fairly resistant to natural radiation because our planet is not highly irradiated, but reasonably so. I mean, we we go out and sit in the sun and get a radiation burn to look good. <laughs> Some people do. I mean, we go tanning. <laughs> Some of us do it unintentionally. <laughs> right, right. Um, we produce rather rapidly. Yeah, I mean, you look at the Romulans and the Vulcans. It's what what once every seven years. That's because their culture is yeah. Um, we are warlike, but we're not as dead focused as the Klingons are. Yeah, we'll go to war, and we have no problem with it, and most of us kind of enjoy it, at least in in an intellectual sense because it's interesting. Yeah, it's a challenge, but it's not the bloodlust that the humans seek versus the Klingons. right. And so we, we are this really pesky race that doesn't fit any of the molds. And the Romulans just do it because they want to prove that they're better than the Vulcans. And so the humans can hold the Romulans at bay because we have the numbers and we have the willingness and we have the power. And while we do that, the Vulcans just keep giving us new technology to put on our ships. <laughs> oh, hey, now we have 365-degree traveling... Uh, lasers, so you can shoot from anywhere on the ship at multiple points, at multiple targets, at multiple angles. Yep. Hey, we just doubled your shield output. Hey, we just took you to Mox or to warp six, and the humans are just like, "Cool, we're gonna go explore some stuff." Because <laughs> all of these are exploration vessels; they're not war vessels. Yeah. The Romulans and Klingons are coming at you with war bird, you know, birds of prey. They're coming at you with war. Their ships are designed for war, and the humans are just like, hey, dude, we're just trying to take some scans of a planet. All right, I'm going to kill you if I have to. 
Uh, photon torpedoes. They have science ships that are more powerful than a bird of prey. Well, dude, their weapons can fire on a Z-axis. Right. I mean, that's that's already that already tells me that if you're behind them, they're just like, oh, okay, I'm just gonna shoot behind me. But it, it's this: the Federation wins because humans. Yeah. Now, without the Vulcans, don't get me wrong. Without the Vulcans, the humans wouldn't have won. Because we needed the Vulcans to provide us with the technology. I agree, yes. To outpace. Yeah. But without the humans, the Vulcans lose. Oh, every time. Federation wins every time because they have the pesky humans who are just willing to march like ants into battle. And they have the Vulcans who, while they're not useful in a fight necessarily, because they're intellectuals, they can give you a ridiculous amount of weaponry. Well, and that's why a lot of them were used as first officers or in a lot of the science fields was because they had the intellectual capacity versus humans were limited by by our brain chemistry. Right. The Vulcans are the ones who use that other 80% of their brain that humans don't. Right. <laughs> but, I mean, imagine being even... Even a superior species, like the, the changelings, the, the shapeshifters from yeah. Deep Wars. Space Nine. Star Wars has them too, but yeah. Well, yeah, but imagine being one of the shapeshifters and you have a third of a galaxy that bows to you. And then along comes a Vulcan and hands a human a red paste that can open a black hole on demand. Yeah, antimatter. That was, uh... Red matter. No, uh, yeah, yeah, red, uh, red matter, but it's the but, same chemical properties but as antimatter. Think of fighting humans, and you're and you're handling it. You're doing good. You're taking slow gains. You're slowly winning, and the Vulcans are just like, oh, hey, by the way, humans, go forth and open black holes at will. <laughs> Have fun while doing it. There's there's no winning that. Uh, no. <laughs> Like, no matter how good you are, the Vulcans are going to be ahead of you technologically, and the humans are going to outnumber you. Yeah. And if they don't outnumber you, they're going to outpower you, because could you imagine the Federation creating a warship? No. Like, it's against their culture, and they're not going to do it. I was going to say, yeah. But imagine if the Federation created one vessel as a purely intellectual endeavor. Dude, it would be like it. It would be like a super freighter from Halo, the humans in Halo with the Mac cannons all over it, just but, wrecking worlds. Right. It would. It would come out of warp, drop into orbit on your planet. It would snuff out all life on your planet, and then it would collect all of the resources on your planet in Harvesters. a matter of hours. <laughs> it would harvest your planet and produce two more ships. So that and reminds, now three ships are taking. <laughs> reminds me of the Protheans from Mass Effect, where they become the collectors and they just go to these planets and basically sedate humans and other alien species and collect them. Right, <laughs> but that's why they call them. They collect them, dissect them. Do <laughs> it's messed up. But like the the Federation, <laughs> if it created one war vessel. Say, at, for whatever reason, they determined they were going to make one war vessel for ship-to-ship combat and <coughs> one for planetary bombardment. Yeah. And this is, this is purely intellectual. We're doing it just for the science. What would that look like? 
to the rest of the world who wasn't a part of the Federation, and even to some Federation worlds. Pure it, horror? It look like, yeah, evil. Pure, I mean, absolute, unadulterated evil. Like, why are we a no part of the Federation? No science base, no, I mean... Most of a most of the enterprise is science base, crew quarters, like relative comfort. Yeah. Imagine you only need six guys to pilot this ship. First of all, yeah, that would be world breaking. I mean, ninety nine percent of your ship can be used for weapons. Imagine if the entire dish of the Enterprise E was just ring upon ring upon ring of phasers. Yeah, it's yeah. No thanks. So. Imagine an Enterprise E that comes into into your orbit, and the way it it kills planets is all of the phasers go to the widest beam they can, and they just shoot your atmosphere till it's about three thousand Kelvin. It takes glassing to a whole new level. <laughs> it just glasses your entire atmosphere. I mean, the Covenant did that well enough, but it took you know it took some time because plasmatic particulates versus photonic particulates but if you <laughs> there's put, a big difference but if you put say a hundred phasers on one ship and you just wide beam them high maximum output widest beam you can you're not shooting the planet no you're just putting all of that energy into the atmosphere to it's, heat to heat the atmosphere basically like taking a gigantic magnifying glass and a super powerful laser and just focusing and just it roasting the planet alive but allowing it to basically open up the, to diverse the broad <laughs> You're just heating it up till it's what? However hot your species dies at, two degrees above that. And if you have Vulcans helping design it, they'd be able to tell you, oh, this species can't survive above such and such a temperature. Go to this one. <laughs> yeah, and like, oh, okay, one degree more. Pff, fried. Oh. <laughs> or like, it, it, it's totally, it, there's no one who can win. The only reason the Federation struggles is because they're ethics. They're morals. Mm. If they didn't have those, they would own every galaxy that was within reach. Yeah. Like, not just own the galaxy. They would own Andromeda. <laughs> they would own Pegasus. They would own them all. Yeah. I think I do want to touch on Mass Effect. I feel like we hit Star Trek pretty well. My favorite planet from Mass Effect is probably going to be Thessia. Garbage. It's the Asari homeworld. Garbage. And you know why. Because it's garbage. Because I'd be the only human male on the planet. Oh, good lord. And the Asari are all females. Of course. <laughs> and I think that that would be a lot of fun for a lot of reasons. Namely because he'd get his butt whooped. Of course. No, because everyone would want to breed with me. <laughs> He's going to get beaten. Senseless. There's no so, way you stand up to it. No. Well, no, they, they wouldn't because they're interplanetary codes would prevent them from harming other beings unless i presented danger to them but well as a, a white human male i probably would present a lot of danger <laughs> but no it's just it's one of those life teeming with life planets you know foliage uh stone structured monuments rivers <laughs> a lot a of really very, interesting history to look at lot. and see and there's such a it's such a beautiful landscape and you get to see parts of it in mass effect 2 and i believe parts of 3 uh, but, i think so yeah because the asari are some of my favorite favorite species they're just so inclined with the um uh, the element zero the biomet the, the biotic implants and everything and they're such a 
such a holistic society of of alien races that it just it would be really cool you know it would be pretty interesting and they they take biotics to a whole new level because their their genes meld so well with the technology that they become they become well, these it was designed for them well it was designed it was designed with them in mind not necessarily for them but that and then um I would uh Another plan. I'm drawing such a blank right. I'm gonna edit all this out anyways. But I'm drawing such a blank right now. Um, one of the planets from Halo. Are you thinking of the the home planet of the Grunts? No. I am not. Are you thinking of a human planet? Another planet that I'm super fond of from the Halo universe is um, Gibalb. I think that's how you pronounce it. Gibalb, Gibalb. It's the Forerunner homeworld. Oh, and that planet just—I—I'm obsessed because I love the Forerunners of of all the cultures in Halo. The Forerunners take it for me. They remind me of a mixture of pompous, arrogant. Yeah, they, they're yours. <laughs> My arrogance is entirely warranted. I'll have you know. Um, if they, it was they, warranted, it wouldn't be arrogance. It would be arrogance. Yes, it's it's my pride that's warranted. For <laughs> it. But they're just they're a mixture of like their culture is a mixture of Jedi, Asari, Vulcan, and it just it's all of these different ideals. They're super intelligent. They're super super martially inclined. They've been around for tens of millions of years they've explored all of space they create life for crying out loud i mean to to a degree okay they know how to they know how to create they life. know how to harvest and create and basically modify life let's put it right. like that but they almost have superpowers like the jedi to a degree yeah, and through technology. I just their their homeworld eventually got destroyed through wars because you know the didact and all his trying to save his culture. Yeah, for lack of a a, a crass term, his messery. He was trying to <laughs> save his culture, and it probably would work. I'm not saying he was wrong they for done what it he was sooner. I'm not saying he was wrong for what he was trying to do. What I'm saying is he had other opportunities that his wife and other. He did shut down a lot of other ideas that would have benefited their race more. Instead, now let's just enslave everybody and make them all my puppets to wage war against the flood. Not and, a bad idea. And in his, not a bad idea. But in his I, defense, I think the rest of the world wouldn't appreciate that very much. In his defense, what he was trying to do was sacrifice as few forerunners as possible to beat the flood. Well, they were already dying to the flood, which was the problem. Right, but he was trying to sacrifice as few forerunners as he could while saving many, many more and trying to keep their culture intact. He did a the good job other of other ideas, the other problems, the problem he had with his wife's idea was she basically said, hey, it's time for the forerunners to go extinct. <coughs> That's, no, she was more, we need to restart, not go extinct. Well, yeah, but she wasn't... He didn't want to retreat. He was in for bloodlust. He was right. saying, dude, screw the flood. Let us let me make my Prothean army. We'll go out. We'll conquer the galaxy. Totally would have worked. It, oh, trust me, it would have worked, but the other foreigners were like, no, let's not, because these other cultures have free will. And if right. we start messing with free will, 
we start messing with all of our values, which was the mantle of responsibility, the mantle of opportunity, all these different mantles that they bestow upon lower life forms. The minute the didact went to go mess with all that, well, all of forerunner, basically all of forerunner beliefs in their society would have crumbled. Right. He was trying to save the forerunner species. Not the galaxy as a whole. Right. And that's where the other, the others were like, uh, no, dude, sorry. The high and mighty, too so, high and mighty to take <laughs> steps that were necessary. So and let's it just work anyways. Let's just imprison him on a shield world of his own creation and uh, leave him to rot. Leave him to yeah, go crazy. He won't come back with any contempt for anybody after that. Nah, he'll be fine. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> and then yeah, but I I really do like the Forerunner homeworld. It's just a, another one of those luscious, technologically vibrant planets that just teeming and screaming with. Fun well, toys and rich, culturally rich histories, and just just things that make liked science fiction. Alderaan, traitor. Alderaan, rebel scum. Yeah, I liked Alderaan when it was turned rebel into an asteroid. When it was turned into asteroid field, that's when I liked Alderaan. <laughs> oh no, no, no! You you like those lush, verdant planets? I like. I like Hoth. I like the desert worlds. And I love Hoth. Why? There's no culture on Hoth. Yes, there are. No, there's not. There's the Orderlins. There's the Wampas. Those don't count. What? The Orderlins are a, a race of people. The Chiss even are a part of their societies on Hoth. Those don't count as people. They're not Ooh, human. They're humanoid. They're enough. not human. I'm a purist. I know, because you're a xenophobe. I'm a, I'm a human supremacist. Oh, okay. Yes. Well, I, I like Hoth because being an Arctic desert and all. It's so cool to see how some of those cultures, like I had mentioned, Ortolans. Would have froze to death Wampas, Chiss. Well, not, not so much as you might think because of their warm-blooded tendencies. But seeing an Arctic desert. Yes, Arctic deserts are a thing for some of you guys. Deserts can be both snow or... Desert isn't based <coughs> on... Or sand. Desert isn't based on... Uh, terrain it's not based on the amount of moisture it is strictly based on the amount of precipitation so it, you can be an arctic desert because although there is water frozen water ice it is not raining enough to be considered not a desert it also has to do with the landscape that is a factor yes but for lack of a debate over something i consider minuscule well, we'll skip that but I think that it's super cool that we get to see that. And I, again, I mentioned in the last episode, I'd love to see Renvar because Renvar is basically the Grand Canyon, but it's ice shelves. Yeah. And it's uh, super cool. But um, you could come up with a really interesting story to tell about Renvar. Of any of the other planets. Like, I don't understand. You Why? Could, well, Why do we not? The Obi- Have you watched the Obi-Wan series yet? No. Okay. Then I guess. We'll be waiting again another two months. Sorry, guys. Phil's going to take a Philip while. has a life. I'm sorry. So do I, but I make time. Make time for the fans. That's what I'm here for. Oh, well, that's nice. <laughs> no, we'll get there soon. I think I think he'll enjoy some of the new lore in Obi-Wan. But uh, no, there's just there's so many culture. I mean, the Cellcath. He didn't even talk. Manon is another planet from Star Wars. I know I said I only did two, but we got a couple minutes left. Manon. Dude garbage the one of the core worlds right next to the sun 
just this planet that is, it, it takes Camino to a whole new level. I mean, the Cellcath, they're like a, they're an amphibioid, the amphibious type of humanoid species. And Semi-amphibian. They, they're just so freaking cool, dude. They harvest Colto at the bottom of the ocean of the planet, which can be turned. It was the precursor to Bacta. Right. Colto was. And it was more efficient. The problem was the refining process was so expensive. And the Republic and the Sith that this is thousands of years BBY before Luke and Anakin. The Republic and the Sith were fighting for Kulto because the war was being waged and they needed a way to heal their troops, yada, yada, yada. Whoever can heal the troops faster wins the war. And because Kulto was instantaneous healing properties. Right. Like you, you snap Kulto into your leg in the middle of a fight because you got it shot. It's like within ten seconds you're you're brand new, and it gives you a, the, add in a little bit of an adrenal stim or some kind of a hyper stim in there, and you're you're good to go. Right. Versus Bacta, you'd have to submerge in it. It'd have to be injected, and you'd have to wait a period of time to heal. Well, you can use it as a spray. There's a lot of uses for Bacta, but yeah, it's I'm way talking about slower. The, the time lapse. Yeah, it's it's the I like the, it's the difference between taking morphine on the battlefield or. Popping a hydrocodone or a Vicodin and waiting an hour to feel something better. Uh, and it's even more dramatic than that because it's like, hey, I have my leg back. Yeah, uh, yeah <laughs> obviously. But I'm just speaking in terms of relation for some of you who didn't know what Colto was. But I just, Manon is so cool. Well, and the reason Bacta took over for Colto is really just in the refining cost and the fact that Colto there's a lot more went... access to Bacta. Well, yeah, the planets that had Colto were mined till there was no more Colto. Right. Just like Cortosis. Cortosis was mined on every planet that these mining companies could find. Eventually, it, it goes away after a while. Right. So they went to Durasteel. They went to Plastoids. They went to, if you were lucky enough to find Beskar, like the Mandalorians. You, you know, know that is that. one question I've always had. There are so many planets that are just junk planets. Where they where the galaxy dumps its trash, <coughs> its garbage ships, its old freighters, Raxus its armor, Prime, Raxus Kuat. Prime, Kuat, plenty of them. Jakku. How is it not? No, Jakku's not that. Jakku, Jakku is, is a graveyard of ships from a battle. It's not necessarily the a planet dumping was ground. already turned into a dumping ground. They just took advantage because their planet was salvagers and scavengers. But I don't understand why there isn't a corporation in Star Wars. That is mining those planets to collect the old cortosis and the old... Uh, there is. You know what that industry is called? The Zerka Corporation. Yeah, but why aren't they Why aren't they mining the whole damn planet to make the best ships on... Cause if because if you had a corporation... They, they that, mined what they needed and they sold it as weapons on the black market. Right. But but think about it. Say you're... I love Zerka Corps. Say you're a Zerka Corps... Uh, I mean, they were they did experiments on rat ghouls, raincores. I mean, tukatas. Like say they were crazy. Say you're Zerka Corps, <laughs> and you are the leader of that corporation. Balmora Arms Corporation did the same thing, right? But you could essentially take over the galaxy. They almost did by just creating pure Cortosis armor for your ships. The only reason Zerka Corps didn't was because they made way more money. Because they supplied weapons to neutral systems, the Empire, and the Republic. Right. And Had the... Zerka Corps wanted to go to the war, 
they could have said, screw the Sith, screw the Jedi, screw the neutral systems. We're going to keep all of these nuclear weapons to ourselves. Right. Go conquer everybody. But there should be something in, in modern times who's just... They're entire like they they started by being a salvage company, but all of a sudden they realized, why are we just salvaging? We could just purify this here and create our own ships, and then we'll sell the ships. Yeah, and then they realize, oh hey, we 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 have cortosis. Let's just make our ships entirely out of cortosis, and we'll just own the galaxy. The problem with that was you your ship would be so dense that obviously density in space doesn't matter, but in terms of interplanetary. War fighting, Cortosis, the ships would be so slow. Yeah, they could take a massive beating and come out unscathed, virtually unscathed. Right, but if you have a if you have a battleship that's equal in size to a Star Destroyer that's made out of Cortosis, you could essentially just plow that through every Star Destroyer the Empire has and just keep going. <laughs> Use it like the hammerhead ship from Rogue One. Right. I mean, or just the make it really just make it really sharp on the front end and just cut their shifts in half oh that would be that would be something to see for yeah. sure yeah sure it only moves at like just faster than the speed of light when two it's in kilometers warm. an hour <laughs> takes two weeks to get from your jump site into into system but oh, what man. do you have but time you're a cortosis battle barge well you don't have to worry about crashing into the planet because you go through nothing will happen yeah <laughs> And even if you did hit the core of a planet, it would take years to melt the shit. <laughs> right. I just, I think that could be a really interesting story. That would be really cool. But that's an end of universe story, realistically. Uh, well, I wouldn't say end of universe. I would say that's like trying to find some kind of faction that was able to utilize that technology and put it through rigorous amounts of testing, well, keep no it secret, and then come out of nowhere like the Yuzhang Vong just come out of nowhere and just well you're gonna have to you're gonna have to have a so this is gonna have to happen and then they'll fight the enemy that was intended to fight and then right as you're about to win you're gonna have to have a universe ending threat like the yuzang vong yeah in order to eventually take the ship out of play (laughs) that level of threat there's no way in anything that the empire has the strength to destroy a light kind made out of cortosis I mean, just shy of the Death Star main beam. Even that would... I don't think that would... It might It might damage it. It might damage it, but here's the problem. What powered the Death Star? Kaiba Crystal. And what was Cortosis known for being able to reflect? Kaiba Crystal. Lightsabers! Made from Kaiba Crystal. So, even... In canon, made from Kaiba Crystal. Even that. Even the Death Star beam could potentially, if not hit directly, bounce off. Yeah. That's terrifying. I wouldn't say bounce off or be deflected or reflected. I would say it would just have absorbed it and spread it out. But could you imagine being the Empire sitting on the, firing the Death Star at this thing and it just comes in like a big billion ton bullet ripping through your death star because even the shield's not going to stop you at that point a mac cannon wouldn't have even done it it's it's insane cortosis is absolutely insane yeah well i think that's all we got for you folks today a little bit of a culture planet chat there are a couple of 
uh, couple of universes we didn't get to touch on, but you know we got more episodes coming your guys' way, so we might hit this again in the future. Oh, I'm sure we will eventually. Just talking and BSing about different things. But um, yeah, we'll see you guys next week. Have a good one. Thank <laughs> you.